Good morning. My name is Lisa. Our scripture passage comes from the book of Mark, chapter 3, verses 20 to 35. Dear God, I pray that our hearts and minds would be opened as we read this passage. Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he's out of his mind. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, he's possessed by Beelzebul, and the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. By the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. So Jesus called them over to him and began to speak to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. Truly, I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an internal sin. He said this because they were saying he has an impure spirit. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call to him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. So a friend of mine uh, tells me a story or told me a story about two kids who wanted pet lizards. Um, and the dad was totally against the idea of having lizard pets. And on top of that, he had a strong aversion to reptiles. Uh, but being the compassionate, magnanimous father that he was, he relented to his children because they were begging him, begging him. So they went to the pet store and they purchased two lizards, a male and a female, one terranium, some crickets. I think that's what lizards eat. I'm, I'm not sure. And the female lizard was named Lizzie. And uh, I forgot the, what the male lizard's name was. Uh, but over the course of several weeks, the father actually fell in love with Lizzie, uh, the female lizard. Uh, she would crawl up his arm and nuzzle her chin against his cheek, and um, he would pet her hair. Not her hair. He would pet her head. <laughs> uh, but also, the male lizard uh, would dominate uh, Lizzie, using his own chin to push down Lizzie's 
head into a position of submission, uh, eat all the food. Um, and so my friend, uh, the dad, grew a special heart, a compassion for Lizzie, a sense of justice, of like wanting to fight for her, uh, wanting to defend her. But one day as uh, the, the son was cleaning out the terrarium, uh, he noticed that Lizzie was nowhere to be seen, was out of sight, nowhere to be seen. Look, they, they looked in every corner, looking cranny of the terrarium. Uh, the lid was open, so they all assumed, hey, she must have crawled out somehow, uh, jumped out or whatever. And they looked all over the house, under the pillows, under blankets, in holes and cracks and pantries and the closets and no, no lizard to be found. So they just basically gave up, like she's gone. Um, where is Lizzie? Um, but then about a month, so they just had the male lizard and he ate food and he grew like doubled, tripled the size. But about a month later, as the dad was cleaning out the terrarium, he noticed a little tail emerging from the bark on the floor of the terrarium uh, and started digging it out. And lo and behold, was Lizzie, the lizard, um, you know, a third of the size of what the male lizard was at this point, just basically the same small lizard as when she was first missing, declared missing. And uh, apparently she had just gone into hibernation mode, right? Like everything slowed down, the heartbeat and everything, and basically sleeping uh, in the bark, um, not eating, not anything, but just, and had stayed the same size. And so what was lost was now found, right? And the dad and the kids fed her, brought her back to strength, uh, I think they gave away the male lizard, right? And they focused on Lizzie, grew her up, and um, soon she was crawling up the sleeve, up the arm of the father and nuzzling her head against him, uh, and she was alive. And this story is akin to or parallel to or a metaphor for the miracle of new birth and awakening in Christ Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the possibility in the reign of God. When we submit to the life of Christ, we become reordered from the cold, lifeless bark hole that we found ourselves in, pushed down into. When we re renounce the powers and the forces that give us false definitions of who we are, false identities, and enter into a new identity, the keyboard, new identity as a part of the new family, a new people of God. So in our passage, this passage, uh, Jesus is traveling with his disciples and teaching, and we have various characters, right? We have the crowd, we have the, the legal experts, which are the scribes, we have the disciples, and we have the literal family, the biological family of Jesus. 
And this passage itself, I think I've mentioned before about chiasm, the chiastic structure, right? The passage itself takes on a chiastic structure, which a lot, a lot of ancient literature uh, used this uh, symmetric shape um, to convey or emphasize a main theme or point. So in our passage, as you can see, uh, if you read through it, you'll see crowd, family, teachers of the law, and then that bit about Satan's house, Satan's house, and then teachers of the law, family, back to crowd, and then Jesus ends with a new definition of family. And so what's in the middle of this? This whole bit about Satan's house, and unless you bind up the strong man, you can't overturn the strong man, and uh, a kingdom divided cannot stand. And so that's the center. And what we can glean from this is that if that's the center, what's, be, what's happening is Jesus is overturning that, right? There's a reversal in the narrative all the way to the point where we get to not Satan's house, but in God's house, in my house, there's a new identity, a new family, and it turns our social norms or our systems or our kind of conceptions of what family is or who, who is close to us upside down. Are you with me, church? Yes. Uh, so that, uh, so basically, the bottom line uh, to take from the chiastic structure is that Jesus does not fit into the social expectations surrounding him, but he rather disrupts them, then redefines what it means to have identity and be family in the spirit-filled kingdom life. The world is messed up and Satan's behind it, but Jesus flips the script on it, offering everyone new identity and new possibility in his family structure. So when we read this passage, Jesus is literally and physically, literally physically and figuratively being pressed in from all directions. We learn of this uh, nameless crowd, right? Jesus, in the first three chapters of Mark, we already know that Jesus was like a magnet. He drew people from left and right, from, all from towns from all over, north and south, east and west, to come and be healed, to be touched by Jesus, and to hear his teaching, this new teaching. And so they're pressing in on him. There's a mob surrounding him. He, they're so drawn to him, and the, the crowd is so large that literally... They had no, he and his disciples had no room to even meet. And so they're pushed into a home and it's like they're trying to eat their Korean barbecue and they can't, they don't have any room to eat, it says. And so if you know like Tyrannosaurus Rex arms, right, they're so closed in, they have like, you know, big bodies but little arms trying to eat like this, right? T-Rex arms. We're supposed to laugh, I guess I'll, okay, we'll take that joke out of there. Um, <laughs> they're chewing each other's food um, on top of each other. Um, so there's this shrinking space, right, as Jesus is being pushed in uh, by the crowd, pressed in by the crowd. But not only are we given this uh, visual of a physical shrinking of space, um, but there are groups of people around Jesus 
that are pressing them in as if they're trying to put them into their box of their expectations of who he should be and how he should act. So they're pressing in on him um, and squeezing him into their social spaces. We don't, look at the, law, the, the, the scribes, we don't like what he's doing. Look at his parents, right? They hear of what Jesus is doing and they're like, we need to, what does it say? We need to go and take control of him, right? He's gone mad, so they're going, they're going to like fix Jesus. And uh, that's not our son that we raised. That's not who we know. He's, he's like disrupting things. He's a rebel rouser, rabble rouser. We need to stop him. But Jesus is not one to comply. And if we, oftentimes we think about Jesus as peaceful Jesus or loving Jesus or shepherding Jesus or nice Jesus, but he's not always those things. Jesus has just announced the reign of God. And as he's announcing this reign of God, that comes into conflict with other people. It comes into conflict with the religious establishment, with the legal experts. They have a way. And that way is being threatened by Jesus' teachings. And so, naturally, when Jesus brings himself into the room, everyone's trying to squeeze him into their box. He's being pressed in. His parents, he's gone mad. He needs to behave. The legal experts, oh, he can't teach that. He can't say that. That's wrong. He's being squeezed in, but Jesus says, no! Right? Jesus confronts. Jesus brings conflict sometimes, a lot of times. And that's a lesson in of itself. As we follow Jesus, as we represent the gospel or what Jesus teaches through our lives and how we live, it's not always going to be nice. Right? You're not always going to be able to please the world and please everyone. Sometimes there's going to be conflict. Sometimes people are going to want to push you down and define you like this or define you like that. And you're going to have to say no, right, to push out. Um... And Jesus, I imagine Jesus, if you remember, uh, this might age me, but the, the real life Hulk, uh, Incredible Hulk, right? Like, uh, not the cartoons, not Marvel, whatever, but uh, David Banner, right? And I don't know who played David Banner, but uh, when he would get mad or irritated, his eyes would go dee. And then he would change into Incredible Hulk. And I always wondered what his wardrobe, you know, budget was like. Because he'd always, the muscles would grow and it'd be Lou Ferrigno, right? The, the uh, Mr. Universe. And he'd start busting out of his sh- shirt, right? And the jeans would start busting out. And if you imagine, these clothes cannot contain the Incredible Hulk. When he grows into this fierce, like, green monster, everything rips and so Jesus is doing that as people are trying to define him. It's like Hulk smash, right? He's like, Burr! right? I thought about wearing tighter clothes and like, you know, flexing so that my clothes would rip. But I guess when I flex, 
things like that don't happen. <laughs> uh, Jesus refuses to play the game. And he would ultimately be crucified this, for this, for not, uh, not playing the game, not being good in the social order. Um, and here, he's, people are defining him as mad or as unrighteous. The scribes themselves are saying, You're, you must have the spirit of Satan. How can he? He's casting out demons. Like, this power is evil. Jesus' power is evil. And Jesus' response to them is very logical. How can Satan cast out Satan? Right? If Satan, if this is a war between Satan and God, why would Satan cast out demons like I'm doing? Why would Satan heal people? Why would Satan forgive sins? Why would such good things happen, such empowered things happen, if it was Satan, by the power of Satan, by which I was doing this, right? In order to defeat Satan, the strong man, right? If you want to rob the strong man's house, you can't do it without first coming in and binding and tying up the strong man. Then you can rob him, right? You can't just walk in and expect to take things. And... Jesus is basically owning the scribes with this, with this image because he's saying, you're saying I'm from Satan, but I'm actually fighting against Satan. And the reason why you're upset with me is because you're actually living in Satan's house. You're eating Satan's food. You're breathing Satan's air. And so that's why when I come in with the good news, it's so foreign to you. You want to push it out. You want to you you, you, you rip me apart, right? And challenge me and throw me out. Because it's the air you breathe. You haven't bound the strong man. You're actually doing his bidding. It's like, oh, right? There's a cosmic struggle going on which has real life and political significance. The patterns by which we live, the systems under which people are marginalized and oppressed, or the rich and powerful pushing down upon the heads of the poor and the oppressed, This all flows out of something that's not of God. It's of the strong man. But Jesus is speaking of a different way. Jesus is empowered by the Spirit. Jesus is one that confronts and messes with the evil systems of the world and offers a new reality. Are you with me, church? Jesus is busting out and Hulk smashing. And he's like, bam, bam, bam. And people are like, we can't contain it. It's too much. It's too much. And I think this is what he means when another kind of uh, passage 
when he talks about the unforgivable sin, right? This is the only, you can be forgiven of any sin except this. And what is it? The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. He's like, you can't be forgiven of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And what he's saying is that if you are cursing the very power of the Holy Spirit, the very power that forgives you and that renews you, you can't be forgiven and renewed. Right? It goes back to the strong man's house. Like, you have to bind up the strong man, right, in order to defeat him. In the same way, if you're binding up the Holy Spirit with your words and where you stand, then how can the Holy Spirit forgive you if the Holy Spirit is the power by which you're forgiven? Right? Basically, you're denying God's grace. You're denying the power of God, you're denying the reign of God in your life. And Jesus is saying, there is another way. There's another possibility. Live in the realm of possibility in the kingdom of heaven, in the kingdom of God. My question to us is, when is the last time that you have lived in the how can this be? And what do I, what do I mean by that? What is, what, have you been in a breakdown moment? The space where you're utterly broken down, incompetent, unsure, lost, vulnerable, and utterly dependent. There is a great possibility that comes in uncertainty, in transition. Don't underestimate those I don't know moments when you don't have the answers, when you can't. The space we don't have a category for, right? In the spirit, our MO are disintegrated as we put all that we are in submission on the table. We are humpty dumpty cracked and shattered for the better. To blasphemy the Holy Spirit is to stubbornly claim citizenship in the strong man's house. We agree and accept his creed that says, this is the world and it runs according to my wisdom, according to my way. And we live by that creed and subject others to that creed. But, the, but Jesus is like, this is the world but there's something else possible. This is God's world. Renew. We can be made new. We can be a part of people being made new. We can live in the impossible. Jesus reveals this possibility through his vision for new kinship and the kingdom of God. He says, remember, who are my brother, mother, and my brothers? And looking at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother, my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. So he's redefining kinship. He's redefining family. And if you notice, at the top of our passage, the crowd that's surrounding him is faceless, is nameless, is anonymous. But by the end here, he's calling the people in this crowd, my mother, my brothers, and my sisters. What was anonymous and far away has been brought near 
because of who God is, because of who Jesus is, turning um, a conception of family and identity upside down. You're not a part of the strong man's house. You're not in Satan's house. But now that God reigns, you are a part of God's family. You're a part of God's tribe. You're in, you're my peeps. You're my people. You're my family. And I'm glad the, the kid, the youth are gone out of this room because it's like, Jesus is saying, as he's redefining family, he's saying, those people who are your mother, brother, and sisters are the ones who obey God and follow God. And, uh, but I want to say that with the youth in here, right? <laughs> like, don't obey God. Don't obey your parents. Because it's, yeah, there's nuance. Um, I am God in your life. Um, so just kidding. Look at the people around you. Look at the people in our world, in our communities, in our workplaces, in our families, in our schools, in our neighborhoods. There's so much potential and there is so much division and so many reasons not to claim the other, right? The other as one who is kin, akin to me, who dwells in the same land, who is my mother, who is my brother, sister, or father. What does it mean for us to be a new people born of water and of the spirit? What does it mean to, for us to be a new family? What does it mean to lean into a new way of life? To lean into the reign of God? To lean away from the strong man and his system and his world? There's so many things that would break us apart in this world. Are you Republican or Democrat? Are you black? Are you white? Are you Black Lives Matter or Blue Lives Matter? The social networking sites, the media, the blogs have the power to invisibly rip us apart. And we, look, we begin to look at the other. We begin to look at one another as categories, just as the people in Jesus' life are approaching him and putting him into a box, into a category. His family saying, he must be mad. Let's get him straight. The legal expert saying, oh, he has an evil spirit. Even the crowds wanting healing are like, oh, he's just... You know, our, our uh, magic healer to do good for us, to do a miracle for us, to put on a show, right? And we do the same thing to one another, to the other. We put each other in categories. Oh, that person thinks this way. That person believes this. That person 
watches that news network and that person uh, has this kind of theology even. And so we other one another. But what Jesus is saying, in my Father's kingdom, we are family. There is a new definition for family. Those who obey God and follow his will are brothers and sisters. Right? In the midst of confusion and alienation, I pray that we can bring Brought, uh, that we can be brought into a new thing, a new identity and possibility as God's spirit-filled, crazy people. In the beginning of our passage, the crowd was nameless and faceless, like I said. And now Jesus names them my brothers and my sisters. And he calls us to go find our long-lost brothers and sisters he calls us to recognize and bind, be a part of God binding the strong man. He calls us to press against um, the lizards, <laughs> right? The lizards that are pushing down on the lizzies of our world. Amen? Who are the lizzies in our world who are being pushed down and pushed down and pushed down to the point that, where are they? They're buried in bark and hibernating, voiceless and lifeless in the terrarium. I challenge all of us to come here to the altar and bring those things that perhaps were inseparable from who you are, what makes you, what defines you, what is your compass or determinant as you navigate your relationships, your activities, your ministry, your vacation. I invite into empty you into empty-handedness today so that we can rise together from the bark like lizzies, rise up from the waters dripping with the Spirit, having pushed through the how can this be? How can this happen? And receive our new marks as children of God, ready to touch others, those who would be our family, with the reality of his presence. I want to leave us with this question. Who are the new family members that Jesus has been giving to you? Who are those new potential family members for you? And how can you take a step closer to them? Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Uh, just as you were pressed down, pressed in by the crowds, uh, pressed into uh, with hostility by the religious leaders, uh, misunderstood by your own biological family, um, called out as a crazy person, called out as coming from Satan. Uh, 
people putting expectations on how you should be, what you should do. As we put expectations upon you, may you Hulk smash into our lives and our hearts today and blow up any false expectations that we have of you and false definitions, but at the same time, um, blowing up our own false identities and the names that people have given us, that haters have given us, um, that the world has given us, and exchange it for new names in your family, names like Brave One, Courageous One, Beloved, Lover of Justice, Peacemaker, Gracious One, give us new names, uh, new powers through your Holy Spirit um, as we uh, live out our identity as your children. In Jesus' name, amen.